Hey, welcome everybody. It's time for our favorite show, This Week with Wendy. The only show that shows you the real SoCal estate of mind. With your host, Wendy Ross, who after decades of working at real estate brokerages in Silicon Valley in Orange County, she decided it was time to create a different real estate model, and so she did. That's when Veracity Real Estate was born. Time was right for a renewed commitment to bespoke client advocacy at all price levels. That's something you don't see in high-priced markets like Southern California. And through it all, Wendy has built a company of data-driven real estate investment advisors who see themselves as truth seekers and truth tellers in the market. And the truth be told, I'm always amazed at the truth she's passing on. So today is no different. We're going to get Wendy to share some more truths, this time about herself. Is that true, Wendy? Yeah, I'm a little intimidated. <laughs> okay. This is the uh, backstory of, uh, of who Wendy is. So I'm uh, going to actually do something we never get to do. I get to appear on camera. So here Yay. we go. Poof. There I am over in the control room. So it's kind of weird. We've, we're trying this out on uh, for those watching the uh, uh, YouTube version of Wendy's like in the studio. Screen, yeah. I'm in the con- and we got kind of a split screen going here. So welcome, Wendy. Thank you. And can I just point out? I was so touched that you introduced me as not one of, but your favorite show. Uh, today, you're my favorite show. Absolutely. That's awesome. I'm going to wallow with that all day long. I'm Paul's favorite today. I love it. I love it. Well, you know what's fun is uh, we don't often get to know much about the show hosts. Uh, they come on, they talk about, uh, it's all about the guests, and we get that. But you really have turned this into kind of an, a richer conversation than just real estate. That's, what's, that's what has surprised me well, thank about you. this show. It's, it's friends, it's partners, it's other people in the community, and they share some intimate details of where they live and yeah. why they live there and, and what home means to them. It, it's more than just a, a, a number show. That's and, so true. And I think people forget that what I do is intimate. You nailed it. Yeah. yeah. It's someone's home, buying their home, selling their home, parting with something they've lived with so emotionally often. It's intimate. So, yeah, the the conversations get really heavily nuanced. Don't well, they? only Wendy would have somebody come on and talk about intimacy in the bedroom. And, and, <laughs> and, and then a chef, uh, your friend, the chef, who comes on, you mm-hmm. know, and that kind of that warm intimacy of cooking with your friends and all that mm-hmm. stuff. It, that's what a home is. I remember years ago, this is, I'll get off topic for one second, then we'll come back. But I remember when I bought my first home and I'm looking at all these tracks, like in Ladera and all this stuff here, mm-hmm. and the videos that they would prepare. And it was never about the building. Oh, sure. It was always about, you know, there was uh, apple pie in the oven and the dogs running through. And you could right. just see it was an emotional story. Oh, yeah. There's the puppies running across the field and the kids hiking on the trails. Yeah. And, yeah, and, you, yeah. and you think, yeah, that could be me. That could be my story. Mm-hmm. Here. Mm-hmm. Well, today, let's do your story. Are we still going to do a wrap up of the market yes, here yes, today? Yes, yes, of course. Right. You know me. I get a nerd out for just a few minutes. Please. Let's do a, a quick recap of last week. And as I've been saying, regrettably, almost every week it's kind of more of the same i mean this last week it was unwelcome data but not unexpected because it's been the same our, our new listing inventory fell six percent instead of rising uh, we need it to double or triple and it, it fell a little bit um, can i ask you just one quick question on yeah because you say that every week i would think that in rising prices mm-hmm. dramatically rising prices, mm-hmm. it's not orange kind of gone up like 16 or 20 percent or something last year some crazy number yes Yes. I would think everybody would be racing to take advantage of it. I'm going to sell my house while the, while, the, while the selling's good. Yeah. And yet, nobody's selling. 
this analysis paralysis is out there. I mean, I think we need to face the fact that baby boomers just aren't vacating their homes like they used to. So right. that, that's a huge segment of our market. Right. Um, builders can't build. I mean, they may want to, but at this point, there's scarcity of land. Communities are still fighting over who's going to allow infill and who's not. Right. You know, are we going to allow the Mission Viejo, the shops at Mission Viejo, to become mixed use and have you know low cost rental units? Yes. No. Yes. No. Right. So the back and forth is it keeps suppressing the inventory. We had somebody come in our shop. I won't say call him out, but after the show, mm-hmm. he was saying, "I think all these malls, most of these malls, are going in one way, shape, or another." I agree. Mission Viejo, mm-hmm. Brea Mall, uh, Main Place Mall. We had somebody from Main Place Mall. These mm-hmm. were these were uh, iconic properties that were built mm-hmm. that the community saw as a great asset and built around them. And now, because of we change shopping patterns and the mm-hmm. land is so much more valuable. Do we need a May Company exactly. store down the street? I don't exactly. know. Exactly. Well, and Main Place is a great example because they've already um, had several plans approved for yes. a great deal of density and mixed use, and it's going to be lovely. I mean, it's not going to be just this big, you know, concrete monolith. There's right. actually going to be parks and green space and, um, and places for communities to gather because, if nothing else, we've learned that our intimate connections with one another matter because we were deprived of that through COVID and now we crave it. Absolutely. Sorry, I, I cut off so your back analysis. To the numbers. Yes. So yeah, so new active listing inventory fell 6%, which was a huge bummer. We had a half percent fewer homes go under contract last week, and I think it's just because there weren't enough to sell. So we, we didn't sell what we didn't have. And closed sales rose 10% last week over the week before. So the heat is definitely on in this market. Uh, and because of all of that, this demand, uh, the list price to close price ratio uh, increased again, another 2.5% over the prior week, and that pushed the median price up again, 2.4% over the prior week. Which is at what now? Uh, median price is now a million fifty. Because I got kind of a medium kind of priced house here. It's not the littlest, but it's not a big one. Right. So you're saying it's my little teeny, which was kind of a starter home, really, that I never got out of. Uh-huh. It, it still could be worth a million bucks. A nice, well-dressed, tracked home built in the late 70s, early 80s can get a million dollars. It's insane. So, yeah, I mean, it's taken us seven days median to sell these homes. So it, it, we're still selling in a week. You know, we have less than 500 listings available to sell. And we should have... 4,000. 4,000. 4,000. Well, during, during you know, peak season, July, August, historically, we would have 8,000 homes available for purchase in Orange County, and we would sell, you know, maybe 3,000, 3,500 of those. And you're saying how many? Just I know you keep saying we, this. We right had 386 there. come on the market last week. We've got less than 2,000 total inventory in the whole county. My, for those watching, my jaw drops. Right? It hurts. <laughs> so it's painful. And we people come to me and actually start arguing with me and debating. It happened again last night at a, a fundraiser for Ashley Aitken. Go, Ashley. Um, <laughs> running for mayor of Anaheim. And, and I just adore her and her principles. But anywho, someone wanted to debate with me inflation and, and the politics and the war in Ukraine and, and yeah. all these pressures and, and mortgage rates going up. And I said, yes, I know. And they said another. And in stereo, we said seven times. Yes, I know. And in spite of all of that, home prices here aren't going to soften because there's just still too much pent-up demand yeah, and too little inventory. So wow. it's going to take a long time for this ship to turn. Um, and I, I, yeah. Anyway, you know me. I'm bored with this. So moving on. Moving on. You're bored with it, and yet we're all just amazed. And I really, part of me still can't believe it. I, I, it's come up yeah. so fast, and so I keep thinking, all right, come on. I've seen this before 2008. It, it was never near this high, but it, mm-hmm. it went down 30 40%. And then so we're all kind of bracing for that. It's got to come down again here. Mm-hmm. This just can't be sustainable. And yet I, I saw somebody, on, uh, it wasn't on this show, but it was on another show, 
the guy that does flip or flop, what's his name, Tarek? Uh, Tarek Al Musa, yeah. Something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was being interviewed right after COVID, after that first year of COVID. Mm -hmm. And he said, come on, tell the truth. Didn't you think all this was going to crash the housing market? He said, I did. Yeah. And yeah. it didn't. Yeah. None of us knew what to expect. And I, I did not expect a 24-month run like this. This is insane. It's insane. And it is literally unsustainable, unless it's not. I mean, when you look <laughs> unless at... Unless it's not. This is just... When you look at how many people here have money, and again, yeah. this interesting conversation last night evolved in, uh, into us agreeing, actually. There's so much money here, and there's going to be um, probably instability in other markets because inflation does that. It makes things wonky. Right. Wars, wars global crises also make markets you know, wonky and frightens people. Right. And when the markets get wonky, what do people do? They flood into real estate. And I'm like, I yeah. can't handle any more demand. There's just not enough here to sell. Yeah. Um, if we get increased pressure, we're, we are going to become the Madison Avenue of Southern California. So, and not for today's show, but what we should talk in the future about this idea of infill. Are we going mm -hmm. to find those 70s tract homes in Costa Mesa or Brea are just going to get taken down and we're going to, you can't, they're all individual owners, but I mean, are we, we just going to turn them all into something else? Or are we going to find ways to tear down other things we, we don't use Senate anymore? We had Senate Bills 9 and 10 passed, which allow throughout the state of California for single-family, you know, one-home-zoned lots to be able to put two and possibly even four living units exactly. on there. Yet when people try to do that, they're getting pushed back by their neighbors and the communities. And the NIMBYs are coming out with pitchforks and burning crosses and right. saying, stop it, stop it, stop it. And, and the NIMBYs need to wake up and, and understand you can either have your neighbor put a granny flat in back or you can have a homeless person sleeping on your car on the street. <laughs> right. What do you prefer? What prefer i would love to see you do a show on that but today we want to <laughs> showcase you all wendy right. all right uh, so Ross. just be gentle okay well like we'll try ones. we'll see if we can carefully peel back some of the pieces here and and, and look at it. the first question i have and i was thinking hard what could we ask you here <laughs> how did you you don't look like a data nerd no you're no attractive, glamorous kind of person. You don't seem like a little wonky. Oh, go on. Come oh, go on. on. But you do. I'm sorry. I, I'm, I'm not trying to flatter you, but I'll flatter you a little bit. You don't look like the typical data nerd kind of scientist, and yet you're very data-driven. Fair enough. Yeah. How did you get to be a day, such a data nerd? I'm a data nerd, I think, primarily because I have a healthy disrespect for authority. <laughs> okay. And that translates into me not accepting what people tell me is true until I've really fact-checked it myself. There you go. Um, and for decades, I, I kind of went along and I read the reports. And I was like, all right, this is cool. But I saw a point in time where my experiences on the ground, you know, boots on the ground, as it were, started to differ a great deal from what the local economists were saying mm -hmm. was trending and happening in the marketplace. And when I started seeing this divergence, and I realized that they were looking at data after sales um, had been consummated or contracts had been negotiated and escrows had been opened, and they were missing missing all the drama and the preamble that came before that. And so they're behind the curve. They're seeing Kinda. what already happened. It's like judging the, the the rate of a freight train when you're only looking at the very last car. Yeah. You know, right. you don't know what happened before. Right. And that is important, especially in a market as dynamic as ours. Or where, what's coming next? Look, mm -hmm. look down the track and see mm -hmm. where the next one's coming. Right. When, you, when when historically we've reviewed things in a 30-day increments or monthly or quarterly increments, um, and now I've actually had to refine it, as you know, to weekly increments because things are moving that quickly, I, I understood that I need to start doing my own reporting because the data that I'm seeing differs in nuance from what's being reported. And so that kind of forced me down that nerdy trail that I already tended to go after. 
And yet you seem to have, it's so clear in these conversations the, the, since the show has come, I've gotten to see a different side of you. You have a real heart for Orange County. Why? You didn't, this isn't where you're from. I don't think. I, I, no, it's not. I'm a native Californian, but I grew up in Northern California. And I've been here 20 years now. I just realized I had my 20-year anniversary. So it's really, truly, finally home. And, but because I came from outside, I really saw the rich culture and heritage that's here. You know, in Anaheim and, and the German and European settlement settlers mm-hmm. that were there. Anaheim, Anna, Anna's River, I think it means in German. Yeah, it's it's Anaheim. Heim. And then, of course, the, the whole Spanish culture, because the right. Spanish land grants, and, you know, we used to be part of Mexico. And, right. and some of my Mexican-American friends are, are happy to remind me of that. Um, we've just got such a rich culture and diversity here. And then, of course, who's not seduced by this weather? That's why I came. You Let's know, be honest. It's, I'm a fan. It's paradise. Yeah. It really is. I love living here now. I really do. So now when I go home to visit my family, it's no longer home. This is my home. So your home, did you come from a family of realtors or anything that contributes <laughs> to your business today? Is, is this, are, you pi- are you pioneering new ground for the family here? If they're listening, I'm sure they're laughing. <laughs> um, no, I, I was born in, in San Jose, not to realtors. And it's funny because I, I was thinking about this. I was born in a part of San Jose that was the Almaden Vineyard part. So I grew oh, up okay. um, near vineyards and these giant casks, you know, where they were yeah. fermenting wines and things. And, and during my youth and my lifespan that slowly turned into Silicon Valley. So the microchip replaced the vineyards and things. Right. And my parents both worked in technology. You know, my mother worked in administrative different types of capacities mm. and my father is one of those brainiacs and he would spend all of his time in the 70s and 80s at IBM helping them learn how to write different code and languages for programs. And then in his... So there's the nerd strain yeah, that's coming yeah, yeah. out here. Yeah. And I learned later in life that they would, they, IBM, the amorphous they, and he was um, an Air Force pilot in Vietnam, they would lend him to the RAND think tank when they had special tasks Ooh, they wanted to solve. That's so. a cool secretive kind of thing here. Yeah, yeah there was a lot of, yeah, I can't tell you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I, Daddy can't tell you what he's working on. <laughs> So can you tell us a, a, a snapshot? I, I know you've done lots of different things. Real estate's one of them. Somebody told me you were in fashion and technology. I know you did stuff in mortgage. Give us the quick <laughs> snapshot. I was in fashion for a hot second, so we're, we're not going to like really dwell on that. But what, what's funny <laughs> Were you is, a model or anything? Or for a minute. For a minute, okay. For a minute. Right. Um, but my first job, because you were asking me or, or commenting, complimenting me, that's been a day of compliments from Paul, people, just saying. <laughs> Doesn't come easy. Love day. I'm from the Midwest. We don't compliment easily. Here. But you were telling me that you were surprised at how natural I was on air and how yes. comfortable I was with this medium. Very much so. um, My very first job while in high school was as a PPC. BX operator. And that happened because I walked into a retail showroom and saw some people who looked like they were important. And as I approached them, I asked if they could tell me where I could go to get an application. Mm-hmm. And this woman turned around slowly and looked at me and said, you want to answer the phones? And I said, sure. <laughs> sure. Sure. Why not? She liked my voice. And so, yeah, yeah. I answered their phones and they liked well, me Well, you do so have much. a radio voice. I mean, I have a radio voice. I practiced it for years, but you seem to have a natural kind of it, It's from my daddy. We don't have... Um, we don't have shrill, tinny tones to our voice. No, you don't have a high voice. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. No, okay. we don't have that. So most people hate their voices. I, I hate mine on, on recordings as well because they do register 
with more tinny notes. Right. But because I started a low register. Anyway. Kind of anyway. Low register used to be a late night DJ. Here. Any hoodles. Yeah. All right. So you so, did some other things, uh, retail technology. How, how did you get into mortgage and real estate? I guess you did well, mortgage it, first. Well, everything and then evolves. What happened was I was working for that store. Um, they promoted me to work in their cash vault. And that was when I think I realized how much I really like numbers, you know, because I was balancing all their tills at night. And then a couple hmm. years later, I was... Um, it was suggested by a friend I go work at a Century 21 office and I didn't know anything about real estate but they taught me you know as I was a sponge and a learner and and so they taught me about how to support the real estate agents and this is back in the 80s in pre-technology and I updated the MLS book you know someone would drive every week and deliver yes. pages of listings I would call and see if these were still active the multiple listing service that mm-hmm. only realtors had the secret book right? that listed all the, the homes special yeah. secret book so I did that um, I would call and coordinate showings for the agents I would physically package and deliver escrow opening packages to the escrow company. Um, And the escrow company was like, hey, wait a minute. Why are Century 21's files all of a sudden so organized? Who's doing this? And they hired me. So they recruited me, and I went to work for an escrow control company in Santa Clara. And they would farm me out to their biggest clients to help me create order where there's chaos because it helped them. They were more efficient. It streamlined their processes. And one of those key accounts was Unified Mortgage, which was actually in the same office tower in Santa Clara. And Jim Douglas was opening their new wholesale division. He's like, hey, who's doing all these escrows? This is great. I want her. So he hired me, and he taught me wholesale mortgage lending. So I went in cold and didn't know anything, but he, he taught me everything from printing the credit reports off the fax machine because, of course, the paper was new thermal paper. That's right. And he taught me last. risk analysis of the data that was on these credit reports. He taught me the underwriting process loan programs, documentation, how to actually issue loan documents. I would get in early in the morning and be there with the market department, marketing department who would call Wall Street and find out what pricing was, and I was the voice on the rate line. So when brokers would call the 800 number for our bank, mine was a voice that said, hi, the, you know, welcome to Unified Mortgage. Today is March 22nd. Our interest rates today are 30 years, 30 year at one see, point. See, you were in broadcasting even then. It was yeah. calling you even then. I, I don't know if you see it as one of your secret powers, but this ability to take and analyze data and mm-hmm. trends and numbers mm-hmm. seems to come from not just your parents who did mm-hmm. that for a living, but this training you had on the ground the hard way, learning it uh, as a trade, mm-hmm. not just a, a theoretical practice here. Yeah. Well, the, the interesting thing is that being raised in Silicon Valley in a very middle class family with two parents who were working very hard and very smart but not making a lot of money, yeah. I had to work. I mean, I had to earn money if I wanted new clothes or nice things or, you know, to eventually buy a car. Right. So I really applied myself and I really wanted to learn and I threw myself into this and it was, um, I started making pretty good money. And when I started making pretty good money, I started shopping. Um, and this is this is kind of where this transition for me occurred and it was an important metamorphosis because I went to a fashion show at, at Stanford Shopping Center and I was... The models. You remember the place. I, I mean, it was Saks Fifth Avenue, people. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So I was at Saks Fifth Avenue in Stanford, and it was really poorly attended, and I loved that what the models were wearing. They just grabbed me, and they dragged me backstage, and I started trying on all the samples. Mm-hmm. Well, they went back, and they told their, their agent, Lynn Toya in San Francisco, there's this really cool gal, and she should be a model, and she's really fun, and this is her name, and we got her phone number. So Lynn Toya started calling me, and my roommates were like, do you understand that a modeling agency in San Francisco... Is calling you. It's 
calling you? What, yeah. what the hell is the matter with you? Yeah. You know, so I finally wrapped my brain around the message she was sending me, and that is smart girls can be models too. It's not shameful mm. to use your face to make money. And so I did that simultaneously on weekends when I could do it while still working in the mortgage industry. And then, you know, the stock market crash in Black Monday, 1987 happened. And it, it laid waste my industry. And it was not long after that I was left looking for a new job, you know, a new industry. Of all the industries I come across, and I sit at the intersection of so many conversations here, sitting in this chair here, mm. I marvel how anybody could stay in real estate because when it's or mortgages when it's hot it's hot oh my goodness you can't crank it out fast enough when it's not giant mortgage companies fold up and go away Mm -hmm. Uh, home builders go out of business Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, realtors uh, go find another career i mean it seems (laughs) to be just boom or bust cycle here it it can be really arduous you really need to be tenacious Mm -hmm. you need to be nimble yeah, and you have to reinvent yourself. And and that's what happened to me in 87. I'm like, all right, I'm in my 20s. I've done really primarily only this. This is what I know. What am I going to do? Um, and I relocated to Texas because my mom had moved there to reinvent myself. Two months after I got there, I was in a major head-on car accident. Oh! So I'm planning to reinvent my, my life, and my okay. body was crushed. They literally had to cut me out of the car. The engine block came in and pinned my legs. Both of my knees were rebuilt. My face was shredded. Half of it was left in the windshield. Oh, my goodness. Um, And I had to learn who I was and how to be a physically whole person again. And what I didn't know that I didn't know was that the jobs I got before, I didn't get just because I was hardworking and I applied myself. I got them because people thought I was pretty. And it was a really, really weird lesson because yeah. I wasn't pretty. I was, I was so not pretty that when I could, you know, I was blinded for a while. You right. know, my eyes were patched shut and, and I couldn't walk. And when I could finally walk, so you have to find out there's more there than just a pretty face. Right? I would, yeah, I would drag myself through the grocery store, and children would look at me and start crying oh. and hide behind their mothers. Oh. And the mothers would turn and glare at me with these looks like, "How dare you even be in public?" And I was oh shamed for even being in public. And I'm like, "Wait a minute!" And it was, it was incredibly revelatory for me to understand that we judge each other unconsciously i think most but sometimes consciously by how we look yes and that was really 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 important for me to understand and when something that you rely upon whatever it is many of us you think you're smart you think you're pretty you think Mm -hmm. you're lucky you think you're good at sports or something yeah and and so things come easily many many people don't have those talents but but those that do it becomes an easy thing. I think of many people in my life like that. Yeah, and, and when that's taken people. away, then who am I if mm-hmm. I'm not smart, silly, funny, pretty, whatever? Right, yeah. right, right. And I think a lot of people, um, and I'm not going to, you know, I'm not blaming. I'm just saying. I think sometimes we discount the influence our family has. You know, our, if we have a big family who's been in the community for a long time, and we have a vast network, that that does give us an assist other people don't have. Oh, clearly. And perhaps we need to see each other with different eyes. I mean, not Mike is literally, but you know, we. I, I think that that experience, on top of the escrow and the lending and the real estate, this experience of learning how people relate to me as a human being and at a time a broken human being, has really helped to inform me, help my clients, in nuanced ways. Well, one of the other things that's helped is that you seem to have more than just one market experience. So many realtors I know, this is what their parents did. Mm-hmm. This is what they do. 
they know this and that's all they know. Right. You seem to know a lot more, including other markets. Does that help, the fact that you're in Northern California and Texas and other places it, here? It has helped a little bit. And the fact that I just start to get voracious about data, I still look at what's going on in Silicon Valley and compare and contrast. And I still look at the, um, the distribution of wealth in different areas and compare and contrast. And it does help me inform uh, my advice for my clients and how I advocate for them. Uh, and unfortunately, what it tells us now is that our market is not yet as expensive as Silicon Valley from, from where yeah. I come. So um, there's room to go. There's it's runway hard, in front of us, unfortunately. Hard to believe it. Yeah, my, my father's home is almost identical to mine in terms of size and mm -hmm. age and everything else. He has a slightly larger lot, and it's worth about double what mine is. Yeah, just a, a house that was probably built in the 70s or something. No, no, no. Mine was built in 48. 48. I'm so sorry. Mine 47, his 48. So even older. Wow. Yeah, even older. Just a regular kind of tracked house that was built yeah. back in the day. Yeah. The only difference is I can tell you that, I, that I've noticed between our area in Southern California and Northern is that culturally, our communities up there are more blended and integrated. And here, we're more pocketed. So you'll yes. see a pocket of one culture, a pocket of another culture. I mean, even in Irvine, which I think, from my observation, is probably the most blended, it's still a bit pockety. Mm -hmm. And it's not as completely integrated as you see up there. And down here, there are far more licensed people in my industry. So oh, everybody, lot. the woman at the supermarket. Oh, by the way, I'm a real estate broker on right. the side. I do this yeah. part-time. Is this something you can do just part-time? Because I only, I'm trying to think of my own life. I've only ever bought two or three houses, bought a condo and a house, and maybe one, I guess that's just two. Yeah. I've lived in it for, oh, God, well, how many years now? 30 years or something. Exactly. And so I only do this a couple of times, is right. the point. Am I going to trust that service mm -hmm. to somebody who only does this part-time? I wouldn't. I mean, I wouldn't trust my eyes to a, a, a doctor who doctor, did it part time. Yeah. You know, I wouldn't. Tr I mean, I've got a heart condition. I wouldn't trust my heart to a doctor who's like half retired, does this sometimes. You know, no. I chase the guy at Hogue that's cutting edge because he's my dude. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and you know, there's one more thing before we move on. I, I okay. want to point out that something that shocked me when I got to Southern California. I know this is going to sound haughty, and it it just is. Uh, it was my observation, is that up north there is a far greater stigma about being ill-educated or uneducated. Oh, and there's it, well, you got Stanford and Berkeley and a million other places, so right. the, the, the assumption is that everybody's educated if and you're, you're in high tech. Yeah, yeah. if you're not well-informed and if you don't speak correctly and well, articulately, you are frowned upon, and that's not the case so much here. Um, and that translates into my industry. It's a bit more the Wild West. I mean, people fly by the seat of their pants and spew things that they read on CNN as if it's news here. Yes. And that's not okay because it's not, in most cases, relevant. And the complexity of the transaction, too, has changed. Mm -hmm. It used to be when my dad bought a house, he went down the street, maybe had a realtor show him, but you kind of shook hands and you wrote, I don't know, I didn't see the agreement, I'll bet it was two, three pages or something. It was, most. like three or four pages, exactly. And okay, and then you did, really it was just going to the bank and getting the loan. Yeah. Uh, the, the deal, the transaction wasn't much to it, there wasn't much disclosure, they, probably, they didn't think there was anything to disclose. And there wasn't complex in any way, shape, or form. I'm not saying that was good, but that's just the way it was now. Right. Pages and pages. Last time I bought a home, my head spun uh, yeah. how many things they wanted me to look at and do it. And I thought to myself, wow, I wasn't ready for that complexity. 
Yeah. I mean, offers and addendum and so forth. It's not extraordinary to send over a 20-page PDF to a seller's agent. 20-page PDF, yeah. right. Yeah. yeah. All right. Nice. So all the more reason to get pros. I mean, I, I yes. know we stress this a lot in all these shows here. You can do something that important, that expensive, uh, and, and not just mm-hmm. financially. This is your home. You seem to approach things with a real empathetic, more than most realtors. Most realtors are transactional. Mm. Uh, get the deal. Get you in. Well, what's wrong with it? Well, okay, so it's not perfect. You know, move, go, now. <laughs> uh, you yeah. figure it out later. Yeah. We'll fix yeah. it. Yeah, not my problem. Uh, that notion of going to find that forever home, I don't even know if people approach it that way. I'm going to be here for a while, then I'm going to flip it, I'm going to make some money, and I'm going to go get another one. Mm-hmm. That notion of, of it, you seem to talk about this more. That does that. does Where does that empathetic outlook that that home emphasis on home and not just home sales well i think a little bit um it imparts some of the life experience i shared with you but sounds but, like it yeah yeah i mean also you know i'm a nerd and and even though i'm absolutely cognizant that you know for someone who's buying this to, to occupy it it's their home it's yeah. their biggest asset but it's also the place where they're going to go and they're going to practice their faith there they're going to raise their children there they're going to celebrate all of life's events there i mean everything happens nobody's in this. ever said that they practice your faith i'm a good irish catholic that notion of yeah there is something you bring to it more than just your furniture right you know, if you're Jewish, you're going to have your your um, your bar mitzvahs and stuff. Yeah, there and your, yeah. Well, I don't and know your all the Shabbat, other. and you're going to have you know, your, all your Friday evening, you know, your family dinners together there on, on Fridays and then Saturdays. And, and my wife put a little, you know, uh, statue of Saint Francis in yes. the back and stuff here, stuff in our garden. Yeah. I mean, there's you. I never thought of that, but you sort of imbue it with your faith you and, do. and your faith in your family and your community. This is I'm. I believe in this community. I believe in us as a family. I believe in something. It's where you rest your head at night and you re- recharge and you get ready, however it is that you do that for the next day. It's everything. And I think COVID reminded us yes. of that. And and I can't, I can't dismiss the fact that, especially now when homes are so hard to find, um, people are competing for them because very often life threw them a curveball. They yes. have to move. Right. And it could be something from their kid got injured. You know, I had a client where Ooh. their daughter was suddenly wheelchair bound, and oh it, that was God. a curveball, and we had to immediately address it and make sure that, that she could live. Divorce, you had to do show on that. That was the biggest exactly. curveball. Yeah. Divorce. I mean, a breadwinner could lose their job. COVID made some of that happen. Mm-hmm. God forbid somebody could pass away. You know, you have to be truly empathetic and dial into what's going on with people's families in order to best serve them find a home um and and that can there are many layers that from their crisis that they're in now are they making good decisions for them and can i perhaps hearken to my past experience and maybe help them forecast down the road what is going to be important for them past this next six eight ten twelve months so pull out your crystal ball look ahead what do you think is coming? And mm-hmm. and I know you're going to say more of the same. And but we're always like, yeah, but, yeah, but when? Come on. Why are we all expecting another shoe to fall? Why are we all expecting bad things to happen? Like we can't just accept that this is the new market here. Well, when you're older, like me, you're looking at me. You're older, like us. Yeah. I mean, we remember the dot com crash. We remember the '87 crash, and yeah. of course, everyone remembers the 2008-2009 meltdown. I remember that one. meltdown. Right. Um, 
and people want to believe that what goes up will come down and it did in 2008 even in 87 there is there was a huge adjustment but nothing like 2008 2009 i mean it, it was it was a dip and we recovered 2008 2009 was really more like the 1920s in, in the crash of 29 it felt like and, yeah. and you knew it was going to take years to it wasn't that you didn't believe it would come back that it would take years to come back and, and i believe the economists and the prognosticators who say it's going to be another you know 60 to 70 years before an event of that magnitude affects us to that magnitude and that makes sense um, and unfortunately from what i've read and what i've listened to other smarter people say war if we are in fact heading that way i don't know what we're going to call this in you know ukraine a police action or whatever you know political label we want to put on it we're it's trying war. to stay out of it but it's it's it's, it's, it's threatening to pull in the world into something yeah. we thought was unimaginable and it's going to affect the global economy and of course it, the feds have to in, increase interest rates here and inflation is inevitable as we have said with smarter people than me on this very show we kicked the can of in, inflation down the road for 40 years it needed to come. We needed to, again, kind of reset our economy. And in spite of all of that, because there is so little inventory here, there are so many buyers coming here, and what I still see is they're coming from other areas to us, increasing inventory where they're leaving, but decreasing inventory here. We're going to have this heat on our market, and we're going to have inflated prices, and I believe that they're inflated for at least another year, perhaps even 18 months. But on top of it, interest rates are going to go up. So anyone who waits is going to pay more for the house and more to finance it. And I will. this is not scientific, no data. This is just my own personal view. But once something goes up this big, mm-hmm. it's hard to believe it ever really comes down Mm-mm. that much. Mm-mm. And I say that with gas and everything else. Once mm-hmm. they get used to selling us 5 and $6 a gallon gas, all these other things, it's hard to believe they're just going to say, oh, okay, it's back to $4. They're not going to go back to 4 Exactly. And what I think people are forgetting is that, again, like we mentioned earlier, when markets get crazy, people look for something that's safe, like dirt, like real estate. Yeah. And again, our aging, booming population, if they want to pull their money out because they're living 20 years longer than they expected, they're going to gobble up rental properties and get rental income. You know, And this is going to put added pressure on our market. And I do think we're going to have some buyers who've been sitting on the sidelines waiting for the shoe to drop, you know, as you had said, and right. they're going to realize, oh, crap. I missed it. it time to I get in. I missed it. And, and loan you know, rates have gone up so much, I better jump in the market. I mean, all of this is going to keep the heat on. It's a pressure cooker, and it's going to remain a pressure cooker. And I don't like it. I wish it would fall because my job is hell right now. You say that, and it's it's hard to believe because you would think, well, come on, Wendy, you're making more commissions than you ever made on per sale, but you're selling less because there's less to sell. We're selling less, and we're we're writing ten times as many offers to close fewer deals. Yeah, and we're dealing with angst and just shredded emotions. I mean, right. buyers who are going in, they're like, come on, what what do these sellers want from me? I've waived my appraisal, I've waived my loan contingency, I've given them my first born. They can stay six months after closing. Right. For the love of God, what do they That's want? Six months after right. closing. Right. But it's yeah. not. It's not what the these, you know, these greedy, rotten sellers want, it's because someone else offered them more. Yeah. It's insane. So, well, let's take a break and let this settle in and uh, talk about your partner for a second, and then we'll get into the famous... Uh, I'm going to go to my happy place. Your happy place. Okay. All right. Uh, stick with us. We're going to just do a quick shout out to our sponsors right now. And as anybody who has listened to the show quickly realizes Wendy doesn't just have a small, I'm going to call it a Rolodex because I'm going to date myself, but a (laughs) network of people. She really has surrounded herself with some great strategic partners like our 
sponsor of this show today here, who was a guest. Go listen to that episode. You want to get a hoot. I mean, lawyers that tell it like it is. Ford and Diulio. They're an Orange County-based boutique litigation firm with real experienced attorneys from real big law firms. Partners have founded it, did it on the concept of what they call aligned interests, where your success is directly related to their success, where they're not just there trying to file paper and drag it out and, and milk it for all they can, where they're really being rewarded for being efficient and effective, and where they engage in the relentless pursuit of their clients' goals. That's in litigation, sometimes mediation, or maybe all the way to trial. If that's what you're looking for, somebody's going to stick with you and, and get you the, the best result possible, persistently, patiently pushing on your behalf, there's a place to find them. It's forddiulio.com, just like it sounds, F-O-R-D-D-I-U-L-I-O, forddiulio.com. How did you meet Ford Diulio? I know they're your personal attorneys, too, I think, right? They are. They're my attorneys. They're my corporate attorneys for Veracity Real Estate. You're not just saying they're good. You've been believing this for a long time. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I have no poker face. So I, I don't. We, we know. I, I, I really I have no poker face. You can't just come up and say buy this bracket and she's making a funny I'd face. I'd be like, like Lucille Ball. Yeah, you know, right. Remember Lucille Ball? The vitamins. Yeah. No, I, I suck. So vegetivitamin or something. Yeah. No, I need to. I need to really like buy into somebody before I allow them to um, to be uh, aligned with my brand. And to your point, th- those guys at Ford and Giulio, they um, they stick to their convictions. They they do everything they can to save clients money. So if there are lesser points, you know, some nuance to a case that aren't necessarily going to further it, they won't waste time on that if they don't have to. Um, they advocate for their clients. They do incredible occasional pro bono work when when they have the time. Yeah, you're talking about some of the uh, they, they support did for veterans other, and others. Veterans yeah. Legal Institute. I'm I'm a huge fan, and, and they're big supporters of that. So you know yeah. what I liked about them, and it showed through. I don't know them. I haven't done business with them, but I know many people who talk of them. That's not the first time I've heard the name. Certainly at the Center Club, where you guys all hang out, stuff. They were very mm-hmm. well known. And very that is well where I met them at the club. Yeah, and uh, they give you an answer. They yeah. don't hem and haw and hedge. Yeah. Every attorney I've ever met, well, maybe, could be, sort of, depends on, and like, mm-hmm. oh, my God, just mm-hmm. give me an answer. I, I know it might change, but I want to have some idea. Can I win or right. can I win? Is and sometimes it's not the answer you want to hear, but they'll exactly. tell you anyway. Exactly. Yeah. That's what I'm looking for. Truth tellers, truth seekers, like we said at the show Boom. here. All right, let's get you to tell some of your truths here. I think this is a fascinating idea, this Vanity Fair Proof questionnaire. It's fun, isn't it? It really is. And I I, I applaud whoever, whether it was Kara or you or somebody coming up with I wish I could claim credit for including this in the show but what a clever Kara idea. Stewart, Alta Lunas Media. Yeah. My girl. What a what a clever idea because mm-hmm. it really I always say to people there when you have guests to a certain degree they got a face on they're trying to tell you what they're trying to tell you. They're trying to make a point. Mm-hmm. And the, our job if we're really going to have real conversations yeah. of value to us and the audience is to get yeah okay tell me all that. Right. Now let's get past it. I want to get some sense of I really get to know you because we got yeah. more than a second or two so let's spend more than a second or two and get to know wendy a little bit more you've put other people in the hot seat let's turn the let's turn the spotlight on you where do you call home this is my favorite question you know because my offices are in newport beach and costa mesa i'm like oh yeah so she's another newport broke or whatever um i live and i expect you'd live along the coast and the beach and somewhere there and something yeah nope i live in santa Ana. I'm that I knew that, and that is so strange to me. <laughs> I'm going to take a wild guess because you live in a really old home, right? In the 40s right. or something. Built up, I live in a post-war home, 
It's a classic California bungalow. In a weird way, does that remind you of San Jose? It does. And I think that's why it resonates for me, because it's very similar to where I grew up. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's got the wide streets and the big trees, and neighbors yes. actually talk to each other. Right. And you probably have sidewalks and those yeah. sorts of things here. Yeah. I walk my dog. They wave. Yeah. It, it feels more like the Leave it to Beaver neighborhoods that I grew up in. Yes. I love it. I, and I love the cultural diversity. I really do. And yet, when you say Santa Ana, everybody cringes in Orange County, you know, who? Santa Ana, so, it's, it's overcrowded, yeah. it's poor, it's this, it's old, it's tough, it's rough. It's People drive around Santa Ana rather than drive into it. And They're afraid to run out of gas, right? Yeah. yeah. It's like, right. oh, dear God, get me through. Well, when Mick and I first bought the house and we had our friends come over, so many of them, knowing that Mick was in mortgage and I'm in real estate, of course, right. they came from the coast you know, to come visit our house. And they walked in and they, to a person, were like, oh, Wow, this is really <laughs> you nice. You can get all this someplace, a yard? <laughs> like, it's a little offensive that you're that surprised. Yeah, 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 exactly. So you talk about a lot because you talk about how uh, quite often you said Long Beach is a find and some of the places you mm-hmm. think are finds. Is Santa Ana a find? I think it or is. Or off the radar? I think it's off people's radar, um, but a lot of people are discovering it. Some of them through me. Um, it What... What becomes old does eventually either go completely fallow or it gets, you know, rebirthed. Right. And Santa Ana is in the same stage that I saw San Jose in when I lived up there. And San mm. Jose was the same thing. It had a, a very Mexican culture, mm-hmm. a very Latino, in, a lot of Latino influence, which was wonderful. But, you know, people were afraid of the gangs. They were afraid of the violence and right. you know, all of that. It's so very similar in that regard. Santa Ana is becoming this cultural hub, and some of the finest restaurants in Orange County are there. If you haven't been down to Fourth Street and all those, kind of cool, yeah. a lot of cool, really interesting restaurants. And going the, on art down there. Scene, right? the art scene, right? And the, the weekend art walks are amazing. Yeah. They're putting in a wonderful. The Frida Theater, I'll do a call out for them. They do yes. all these really eclectic uh, films. They've been in here numerous times and stuff. Yes, exactly. So em- embracing the arts and the diversity of the community and, and a lot of the, our local colleges have campus um, offshoots in Santa Ana, which is wonderful because they're embedded in the arts district and they're building a new train, a, a railway that's, you know, it's vexing people. I know it's a pain. Fourth Street is shut down for now, but it's going to connect Santa Ana to Garden Grove, which yeah. is another growth area. They, we've had uh, Mayor of, as a Polito and a few mm-hmm. others and stuff here and mm-hmm. they've talked all about that through the years and everybody kept saying, no, that's not going to happen. It's Really happening, it's happening. So, yeah. It's happening, and I think it's going to be so cool. So when my friends it's like come a light over, rail line or a trolley yeah. or something, you know. I'll be able to walk a couple blocks and, and hop on the trail and tootle around to my favorite restaurants and go get my drink on and take the rail home. Well, Yay. I'll tell you how envious people are. We had uh, Mayor uh, Barbara Del Glaze, I think that's how you say, Mayor of Huntington Beach, in here the other day, mm-hmm. and she's touting the wonders of Huntington Beach. How can you, you know, everybody's cool surf city and everything. And one of the things she's hoping is that we'll be lucky enough to connect. Thinking if this thing takes off between Santa Ana and Garden Grove and is a hit, mm-hmm. then the next line will come from Garden Grove down over across into Huntington Beach you know, right. and down to the beach. And so she's hoping now to be part of what was created there. You she would- has a big job ahead of her because in Santa Ana and Garden Grove, we are mostly a lower income constituency right. who are more apt to embrace something that we think is going to raise our communities. All the NIMBYs in Huntington Beach, they're going to fight that tooth and nail. You're not tearing up my street. You're yeah. not going to make me drive two more blocks to get to, you know, Albertsons. Exactly. It's, she's got a tough and, row to hoe. And yet she's on the Orange County Transportation Authority, so she's real big in these regional transportation projects. And, and she's stuff right. She's smart. 
connecting our communities is well smart. i don't want to spend six dollars seven dollars eighty seven dollars everything more and more i think that's going to push some of the stuff that we've pushed aside for everything anyway. I, agree. I agree all right so we talk about the city you call home mm-hmm. since it's a show about real estate Tell us what you love about where you live. You gave it a little bit. It kind of reminds you of home. Yeah, we, we kind of covered that, I think. You know, I, I love the the neighbors, and, and again, my home feels like the homes that I grew up in. Do you know in. your neighbors? Because that's, that's been my common complaint. I came from the Midwest where there are generations live in these neighborhoods. And yes, there are people staying longer in the neighborhoods, but I yeah. still don't know that I know most of my neighbors. We, we yeah. pull in and we just lock ourselves in, and I still don't know that it's a real communal i just yeah. live in a tract area you know? well you know i know i know a few of them and really it's harley it's my dog he is the glue that holds the neighborhood together because i've got this giant hunting dog and you know at first people would cross the street and go on the other side but they've learned he's just a giant baby. what kind of dog is he he's a louisiana catahoula a hudawata yeah i know it's, it's <laughs> i never american, heard of that breed it's an american mixed breed it's actually the state dog of louisiana the okay. catahoula indian tribes had domesticated a wild cur i don't know Decades and decades and decades ago, right? Yeah, and when explorers came from Europe, they brought mastiffs and greyhounds with them that interbred with this wild cur. So the dog that resulted is very smart, very strong, very fast. So he could run down the street. He would go to the dog park, and he would run with the greyhounds. I'm going to have to go look that up. I thought I knew all these obscure dog breeds. I never heard of that one. But he's big, and he's brindle, and he's dark, and people are afraid. (laughs) Okay. Of the stuff you've had, and you've had lots of different lives, you seem mm. to be one of those people who have, have lived multiple lives in multiple places. We talked about multiple careers and multiple things. Mm-hmm. Is there a treasure possession that follows you around? It, you know, it's funny. Um, I was thinking about this because obviously I know my own questions. Yeah. Um, and I was going to say Harley, my dog. Um, but he's really family. I'm not going to call him a possession. He's my baby. He's my everything. Yeah, and I, and I appreciate when people say they're kids and they have family. And, yeah. I, and I get that. Yeah. But I, I think possession is just, I think that's the real insight. It's just something that follows you around, that that mm-hmm. I just have, that your grandmother's lamp. Somebody was on something with grandmother's cookbook or something. That, that says something to me. So the things that follow me around, um, it's more like I lug them around with me. And that is my father, and this is interesting to me anyway, As well as being a complete brainiac nerd who went to a Rand think tank to literally help solve the world's problems, Mm -hmm. is also a brilliant artist. He used his whole brain wholly. So he is a brilliant sculptor, and I have two bronze busts that my father made. See, there you go. Yeah, yeah. And, and I you know, I would drag those out if there was a fire, if it killed me. It would probably herniate me, but yeah. Yeah, right. And somehow, wherever you go, those have got to go with you. Absolutely, yeah. All right, what do you consider your greatest achievement today? There's a tough one. You've achieved a lot of this. Is it still to come, or is it... Uh, that's what I would say, Mike. It's like your favorite restaurant, the one I haven't been to yet. Right. Uh, is your greatest achievement the the hill you haven't climbed yet? Or I'm something? sure. I'm sure it is still to come, um, and we'll save that for another broadcast because there's my vocation and there's my avocation, and they're very different. Yeah. So there's a book in my future. There's speaking engagements in my future that will deal with that. I think so. I so that's sense the that. next yeah. thing. But for now, I think what surprised me most is, in spite of starting my own company and, and learning various things and overcoming disabilities and and and, um, the thing I'm most proud of is being a good aunt and a role model to my nieces. There you go. Wow. Okay, you know, that's a surprise. Yeah. Right? Well, my nieces and my How many have niece. you got? I've got two nieces, and I have a great niece, and I have two great nephews. Wow. Yeah. Okay. And uh, how old, roughly, the ranges of these kids here? Uh, my oldest niece is 40. Her younger sister is in her early 30s. My great niece just turned 22. 
and my nephews are 20 and 18. So they're not little kids anymore. No, so they're all You've seen them turn people. into adults and see who they became. Yeah, and to have, um, you know, to get the occasional text message on Mother's Day, for example, Ooh, and say, wow, that's something. you know, you've been really important to me. You played a role. It's incredible. There. Yeah, because not having had kids, I didn't expect that. It takes a village, as somebody once said. It takes a community. Kids don't raise themselves, and it's hard to raise enough these days. I think you have to rely on. I, I don't know that we have enough of that extended family anymore here. I, I don't think I'm we sure do. you're right. Yeah, it does take a village. It really does. So, yeah. All right. Well, that's that says something. Personal motto? <laughs> my nieces all know this. This is totally my personal <laughs> is motto. Is it tattooed on your arm or something? It should be. I always tell them, use your power for good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you should, boy, that's, in a superhero world, that's it. We all are given a power, just use it for good. We have a lot of power, and I think women in particular perhaps don't understand. No, because for just, too long they were taught they don't have any power. We have so much power, ladies. Yeah. Use it for good. Use it for good, okay. Mm -hmm. All right, if somebody wants to do good and, mm -hmm. and, and tap into your superpowers, how do they get in touch with you? Well, email's always good if you don't want an immediate response, because, you know, I'm always in my car. Right. And that's Wendy at realveracity.com. Real Veracity. Mm -hmm. How do you spell veracity? V-E-R-A-C-I-T-Y. Okay, Real Veracity. So why, why that name? Veracity, veracity means truth. Veracity means yeah. truth. Right. Yeah, I'm all about the truth. And real is a play on real estate, but real truth doesn't suck either. No. My website's realveracity.com. And we live Please in a world there. where we don't think there is any real truth anymore here. Yeah. Yeah. But if anybody wants to call me, call me. It's 949-870-2424. And of course, you can always listen to my podcast wherever you want to listen to your podcast. Yeah, please the do. The show is This Week with Wendy. And it's more than just real estate. It really is kind of a look at this kind of... Well, I can't describe it. How would you describe the show? Is this kind of a, a warm feeling a, a home feeling to it i don't i didn't expect that it's a many splendored thing you know? <laughs> love is a many splendored thing <laughs> but yeah it's a heavily nuanced thing it, it's home it's your nest it's your investment if done properly it's going to help you be a better human and leave a better legacy for those behind so it's 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 a highly nuanced thing and that's why i will never be bored with what i do well, and it's unpredictable. That's what I like. So you never know what's coming next. There's it that. really is your world, and welcome to it here. And uh, we're grateful to be part of it here at OC Talk Radio. Thank you so much for doing this and for letting us spend a moment. I know there's always an impulse to bring guests in and tell more. In the, and once in a while, though, we got to tell our stories here. And I yeah, think you did I a forget. Good job. If this is my show, people should probably know who I am. So I <laughs> hope that this helped. I welcome feedback. All right. Take us out. Any final thoughts here? No, just stay tuned next week and uh, listen to This Week with Wendy wherever you like to listen to your favorite podcasts. Thanks. Take care.